Your move, creep. Mission luck, Bruiser. You both Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, Austin. Oh, wow. Yes, I, I actually don't know how to start this episode. Why don't you know how to start the episode? Well, I don't, like, I think we're going to have a good episode, but I haven't seen this movie. So I haven't seen the movie that we're going to talk about today. So I really don't know kind of how to segue or start the episode. <laughs> I'm just so used. To, I'm just so used to saying we got a great episode for you guys today. But I'm like, I've never seen this movie. so I don't know. It's fine. But you do know about the movie, right? Slightly. I am slightly familiar with it. I do know that a lot of people have asked me to watch this movie. <laughs> A lot yes, of people have told me myself to included. Yes, but I've never gotten around to it. Uh, I this have is... seen the latest film in the franchise. Actually. Yeah, this is one of my favorite franchises of all time. I think. Really? Yeah. Your favorite? One of your favorite franchises? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, that's kind of big. I didn't. I didn't know that. I know you had recommended the film a lot, but I don't oh, know if I'd... you you've said it. I'm I'm I don't know if I've said it, but it is it is up there. It's like you got Star Wars, you got Aliens, and you got Mad Max. <laughs> okay. Well, what movie are we going to be talking about, Austin? We're going to be talking about where it all began in Mad Max, the first Mad Max released in 1979, directed by the legendary George Miller. God damn! You you're slobbering all over this movie. I could I could hear it. slobbering. What are you talking about? Legendary favorite franchise. He's legendary. You're you're, you're pumped about this. I can. I'm hear very it. excited. I'm well, so excited. I've never seen this film, uh, and I've only seen one film from the franchise. There are four films in this Mad Max. You've Mag only seen one. I've only seen one. Ugh. The latest one with Tom Hardy. I have not seen any with Mel Gibson. Oh man! And I I love Fury Road. I think it's a great film and. Ever since I've seen it, I've always said, I'm going to go and watch the original ones. Never gotten around to it. But that's that's basically it. That's my involvement with this franchise. I really don't have much else to, to say about it. How did you, when did you first watch this movie? Shoot. I, I remember my dad watching it with me, I think. And I only remember seeing like the movie towards the end, I think. Yeah, it was towards the end. And then I'm, I'm watching it and I'm like, Oh my god, did he just kill that guy? That's not what heroes do. What? <laughs> I watched Mad Max 2, I think, in its entirety first, and I was like, this movie's amazing. Thunderdome, I watched like half of it, and then I didn't watch all three of them until much later, and I was like, I guess, appropriately aged to watch them. <laughs> uh, and Thunderdome was, was, is one that I see, like, it still has its hold on, like, the pop culture. Like, it, you still see it referenced. I think during the lockdown, the WWE renamed one of their shows the Thunderdome because they had like a, a, a screen with a bunch of people watching it at home. They, they called it the Thunderdome. <laughs> and it's it's some like the quote, one man enters, or two men enter, one man leaves is something that you hear repeated 
Yes. Oftentimes, but of of the original three, it's my least favorite one. Okay. So I, I think what kind of drew me to it was how like dark and violent the world was. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Thunderdome was trying to go more uh, mainstream. I think it it had a PG rating, a PG thirteen rating. Oh. Because so, I remember when Fury Road was coming out, I was like, I hope they go back to the R rating, which they did. Yeah, and I was kind of surprised that they did because. R-rated movies tend to not make as much money as PG-13 movies. Mm-hmm. I like the like that post-apocalyptic feel to it. Like it's not something that's based in like reality, I guess I would say. It's it's more of a this is how my version of the future looks. Kind of like Fallout 3 where it's kind of like a retro future kind of thing. You said that Fallout was the first thing that came to my mind. Yes. Uh and Fallout borrows a lot from Mad Max. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> the the franchise as a whole or like a specific entry? Well, I've only played 3 New Vegas and 4. Mm-hmm. And they they have like these the Raiders, right? And they're wearing yeah. like football helmets and stuff and mm-hmm. like spiked spiked uh um leather jackets and like leather leather clothing or something like that. Yeah, just the way that they they look and the, the way their hair is and and all that. It's taken from Mad Max too. Like if if you're a fan of the Mad Max franchise and you see you play through Fallout, you're like, hey, that's that's like the Lord Humongous and all that. <laughs> OK, that's pretty cool. A dystopian future settings are really interesting because it's always what caused it. Right. It's always interesting to see what caused it in these certain situations and kind of how humanity is like trying to how far humanity goes down the toilet. Mm-hmm. But also how many, how many, how people try to cling on to that old lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? I mean, dystopian future has films and video games have explored that so much. And I'm really curious to see, because I jumped into four not knowing anything about the history. It was just all gasoline <laughs> and uh, big men, women with chastity belts. And I'm like, well, how did it get here? So I'm really curious to see its origins. And it's weird because as with Fallout, I actually didn't play the original ones. I jumped into three when yeah, I got my same. PlayStation 3. Yeah. And it's just kind of been down like from there. You know, the games, you know, say that nuclear warfare destroyed most of the world and stuff. But you don't actually I never actually got to see it, you know, or actually got to see what happened immediately right after that. It's always been like, well, years ago that's kind of it's similar to how i saw fury road i'm really interested to see like the first one kind of how well, they established the thing the is setting. you never really see what happened mm. like in if mad the first mad max there's still some semblance of civilization but if you listen to like the radio and like you i think there's might be a prologue that might say some things it's like this is where right before everything bad started happening because mad max 2 is very different from the first one like Mad Max 2 looks a lot more like the world in Fury Road. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's a budgetary issue, right? Like I'm sure this movie had a low budget or relatively low yeah. and they kind of George Miller couldn't go as far as he wanted until you know, this is 79, 40 years later, mm-hmm. or uh, roughly 30, at least 30 years later when he was able to capture it in Fury Road, I imagine. Well, I think the Fury Road is just how he's kind of evolved as a person and as a filmmaker. Because uh, there's there's some stuff that happens in Mad Max that it's like, uh, 
well, I guess we can get to it when when that time comes. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to give anything away. No, okay, for, I I don't know much about this movie. I don't know anything. I I have a friend Aaron who I think explained some of it to me. He kind of explained the plot, but I think I forgot as I <laughs> tend to do. So, I'm really jumping into this film really only knowing that Max survives, obviously, because mm-hmm. you know, that it's directed by George Miller and that Mel Gibson's in it. That's yeah. relatively it. And that cars play a big part in it. Yeah, it's it's all about cars and gas and going real fast. Gasoline. But there is also the the villain of this movie sadly passed away. Like the actor, he passed away uh, recently. Uh, Hugh Keysburn. Mm. He plays the, 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 the toe cutter in this okay. movie. He's like the main bad guy. He plays the also Immortan Joe in Fury Road. I think I did read that somewhere. I think when he passed away, because he passed away a few years ago, mm-hmm. they I think I saw an article where they said Mad Max actor, and I think I somewhere it said he was in one of the original films. He was also in the newest one, and I thought that was really sad. I thought that was really cool, right? I thought that was really cool that he, George Miller had used the same actor, but for a different yeah. role. But it was a it was sad that he passed away. Yeah. And there's a Mad Max in Mad Max Two. There's a character called like Gyrocopter or something that comes back in Thunderdome, but he's not playing the same character. But it's clearly the same actor, you know. And he still is uh, using a some kind of flying vehicle to get around the desert. That this sounds really cool. I I I yeah. I'm really curious to see this. I I want to see this actually play out. You know. Yeah, and keep in mind this. This is a small movie. I don't even think that they planned on making a sequel afterwards. Just this movie was so, so successful internationally. It was, I, I think on the Wikipedia page, it says it has the Guinness, holds held the Guinness record for most profitable film. Really? Because it was on the budget of 400000 Australian dollars, mm-hmm. which I guess we, we should try to convert that, right? Four hundred thousand Australian dollars is equivalent to two hundred and eighty-nine American dollars, and the movie made globally over a hundred million dollars. Oh, Jesus Christ! And if you go, I th- it, it was released in seventy-nine. Uh, I wonder when it was released overseas because I remember when we talked about um, Blues Brothers. I'm not sure if it made it into the episode or not, but this movie was in the top ten. Of the international box office, mm. despite being released a year before. So it was still making money well into the next year. Yeah. Well, this movie was released 79, whoa, April, uh, April 12th, 1979. So in April, so it was still making money in 1980. I'm not sure how we talked about it. I think we were just talking about movies that made $100 million. Oh, you're right. Filmed on a budget of 400000 it earned more than a U- U.S. hundred million worldwide or a hundred million U- U.S. dollars worldwide. Okay, so I will say this: it might have held the title. I don't think it holds up though. I don't think anymore because I hmm? I know that one of the most paranormal profitable- activity. Paranormal activity definitely topped it. I also think my big fat Greek wedding. I think mm, is the most probably. profitable film of all time. Yeah. So it, this might have held the record. Yes. For. <laughs> which which it did at it one in, point which it did it in ni- 1979 so hey like kudos to mad max but mm-hmm. i think either paranormal activity or my my big fat greek wedding 
uh, took that title. Because I do know that My Big Fat Greek Wedding was, it, it still might be one of the most profitable films of all time. I remember how we talked about it now. It wasn't the fact that it was making money in 1980. It was because it had made $100 million. And not a lot of movies made $100 million back then. In 79, nothing did domestically. That's for sure. Whoa. Uh, in 1980, it was Star Wars and uh, Stir Crazy, which is a, a movie with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Mm, gotcha. And then after that, it was only Raiders of the Lost Ark and Superman 2. Man, it, it, when it was so rare that that a film would even break 100 million, that's that's wild to think. Yeah. And now it's like if a big budget action movie only makes 100 million, it's like, mm, uh oh. Oh yeah, you need you if if you're like a Marvel film, your your numbers yeah, tend to hit. They're spending at least they're spending at least a hundred million dollars making their movies. Oh, yeah, wait, way more, <laughs> and, and marketing them too. Remember these? Mm -hmm. I think these movies. I think I read somewhere that No Time to Die needed to make eight hundred million just to be profitable. Then there's that that thing too with like Hollywood accounting, right? Which is which is a real thing. Me apparently Men in Black has never been profitable because of Hollywood accounting. Do you know what Hollywood accounting is? Yeah, well they they try to flub the numbers or something. They I read this article where Men in Black is still according apparently still in the red because of different numbers or things that accountants do to make a film seem not as profitable for some reason. Well, they do that so they don't have to pay the people that made it. Yeah. So if, like in your contract, if you say, oh, I want uh, X amount of money from the the net profit of the movie, and then you flood the numbers so that, hey, this movie actually lost money, then you don't get paid. Yeah. Jesus Christ. People scamming each other out of fuck. Just pay the fucking people. Yeah. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, I was made aware of, like, a joke in Freakazoid. Always ask for a piece of the gross, not the net. The net is fantasy. Yeah, piece of the gross. But as far as I know, I don't think there's any Hollywood accounting in, in Mad Max. Because uh, this, this did make a huge star out of Mel Gibson. So was this one of his first films? Uh, yeah, this is one of his first films. Yeah, okay, not, so not his first one, but one of the first. Right. This is what made him like a Hollywood guy, I would Damn. say. I mean, I, I didn't know he was Australian. <laughs> is he Australian? Yes, he's Australian. I I didn't know he was. I That's funny. I just You wouldn't you wouldn't think he's Australian now, huh? No, no, of course not. I <laughs> honest to god, I don't remember Mel Gibson ever being young. You like I don't think I've seen a young Mel Gibson. I think I've only seen like middle-aged Mel Gibson, like from What Women Want or, uh, you know. Braveheart. Le yeah, Braveheart. Like, le not even Lethal Weapon 1. I've never seen Lethal Weapon 1 as well. Uh, so uh. I know he looks young in that, but wow, a lot of young Mel Gibson films that I have not seen. Yeah, and it was, I guess it was after the third Mad Max is when he started doing more American movies that you've probably heard of, like Lethal Weapon, Tequila yeah. Sunrise, mm -hmm. uh, Hamlet. <laughs> I've never seen Hamlet. Maverick, Braveheart. Yeah, Braveheart. Oh shit, he was the voice in Pocahontas. He was he's John uh, Smith. Yeah. And now he's like saluting Trump like at the UFC event in July of last year, I think. Yeah. 
we have back-to-back episodes talking about a controversial figure at the in the middle of it, right? First was JK for Harry Potter. Now we have Mel, Mel Gibson for Mad Max. I don't know how much I'm going to like this movie. Uh, I might love it. I might not. I don't know. But I'm sure, I sure as fuck know that Mel Gibson has not aged well. <laughs> that I do know for a fact. Uh, maybe he's great in this movie, but like I'm talking culturally. Yeah, he uh, he is not. He's not the same, man. After those uh, voicemails or phone calls or whatever of him, mm-hmm. of him yelling. <laughs> Have you ever listened to them? I listened to some of them uh, a <laughs> so, while ago. I I only I only thought there was one. He was I, just, I guess I listened to some of it a while okay. ago. I didn't listen to the whole thing. Yeah, and it's weird. This man was caught red-handed saying all these obscenities. And he is still out there working. You know what I mean? I think he mm-hmm. I think he criticized Jews. And yeah, he's I'm, said a lot of anti-Semitic things, a lot yeah. of misogynistic things. And I'm like, how is he? Do you know what I mean? Like, how is he still working? Like, who is still saying, oh, yeah, you know, we should get to direct this? Mel Gibson, which just recently happened with Lethal Weapon 5. He's directing Lethal Weapon 5. Which, okay, upsets me for two reasons. Because number one... You know, why is this man still directing? You, you know what I mean? Like, you would have mm-hmm. figured that he would have been out the door for criticizing just about every group, right? And then also, who the fuck is asking for Lethal Weapon 5? A lot of old dads, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Didn't they have a Lethal Weapon TV show, too? They did. But, it w- but okay, it's funny. Because in the TV show, the guy who plays... So, what's his? What's Mel Gibson's character's name in Lethal Weapon? Riggs. Uh, Riggs. Uh, so apparently the actor who was playing Riggs on the Lethal Weapon TV show was also crazy. Like they he like talking a bunch of shit. He was rude. He was rude to uh, to his co-hosts, rude to the to the directors and the crew. Ended up mem- replacing him, right? They replaced him with the guy from uh, from Dude, Where's My Car? Not Ashton Kutcher. Oh, Sean William Scott. I don't know if he's Sean William Scott. Yeah. From- so. Th- the rundown <laughs> yes oh okay of all the movies oh he was in goon as well goon, and american, american pie. pie yeah so the actor for Riggs got fight was fired and replaced by sean william scott and i just think it's mm-hmm. funny that you know mel gibson crazy dude guy who would replace him on the tv show is also crazy it's just like something about Riggs getting into that hit that headspace to play that character i guess but who the I don't Fuck think so. Fuck is asking I, for a Lethal Weapon 5. I mean, it wouldn't have happened if, you know, it wouldn't happen if people didn't want to watch stuff. Like, people like to complain about sequels and stuff, but, like, that's what makes money. This is this is going to be an interesting film to revisit because, I mean, you have a very controversial lead star, right, who has a long history in Hollywood. This was one of his first films. Uh, you have a story, you have a film that's very low budget. And kind of ambitious with what it's trying to go for. It's a low budget film about a dystopian future. So it's all right. It's and if in the seventies, you know, they can't rely on CGI effects and stuff. So they have to do a lot, if not everything, practically. So that's already interesting enough. This is there's been three films after this one, so you know you can't help but compare and contrast a little bit. This is gonna be a really interesting movie to go back and kind of think about retroactively, you know. Also, like the way that the movie is filmed, too, like it has like a very strong vibe, you know, mm-hmm. it it feels different. Like I, 
for me, it stood out to me because I watched a bunch of movies when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. but Mad Max was one that that stood stood out, um, especially the second one. So that when the Fury Road trailer came out, I was so excited for that movie. Mm. So excited. I I probably haven't been that excited for a movie since I don't know. <laughs> you were pumped. I was so pumped. This was your like, oh man. This this was the one for you. It was like it was like that Force Awakens trailer, I think. Yeah. You rewatched that trailer so much mm-hmm. and you could just imagine the possibilities. Yeah. And it's it seemed like he was going back to that like that darker kind of world in in two but if you it's it's so funny like watching that movie again i'm like that's from mad max one that's from two that's from thunderdome he borrowed so many pieces from the the film franchise that he directed and put it all into like this one thing and it just shows how far he's come along i think this guy's also directed happy feet and he also directed babe babe which i loved as a kid George Miller is a really interesting director because he doesn't, I mean, yeah, he directed Mad Max, an R-rated film. He directed a film about a talking pig, and he directed a film about dancing penguins. I can't really pin him down. Do you know what I mean? He's no David Fincher. David Fincher, usually there's always a crime scene in most of his films. George Miller, as far as I know, has, how does, how is Babe similar to Mad Max? I don't know, but... (laughs) Uh, I'm curious. I'm curious. To... Oh, he, he didn't direct Babe. He produced it and wrote the screenplay. No, no, no. I think he directed it. No, he didn't direct it. No? Oh, I was sure he did. Okay, never mind. He directed the sequel, Babe, Pig in the City. Oh, gotcha, Pig gotcha, in the gotcha, City. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I just think he's like a very, very talented uh, filmmaker and someone who who uses style and I think sometimes people are like style over substance and it kind of hurts the movie overall. Um, but I think he he's just like really good at everything. <laughs> and I, I think he knows that, you know, times are changing and he will try to uh, adapt to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's not stuck in his ways and he's not like, oh, I'm going to do things the way I've always done them and never. A commercial old he, man. Yeah, he, I ah, think he's I... like that. Yeah. No, he, he seems like a super chill guy. And Fury Road, I mean, he made Fury Road when he was old, but that movie does not feel like it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just feels that movie feels like it was made by someone who is going at 100 miles per hour. Yeah. Like, like the, 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 you know, the scenes move fast. The action's fast. It's, you know, it's it's subtle when it needs to be and it's flamboyant when it needs to be. And it's, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to say old people can't direct movies like that, but you you look at a picture of the director and then you compare it to the film and it's like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then he's going back. He's I think he's 70 years old or something. And then he's going back to make a Mad Max prequel, Furiosa. And I'm excited for that. I think that's going to be super dope. I can't I'm wait so, to see. And Anya, T- is it Anya? I heard her pronounce her name recently. I'm like, wait, it's not Anya. Anya. It's Anya. 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 Anya Taylor-Joy. She's going to be playing a young Furiosa, which I, I love her. I love Furiosa. And I love George Miller. So I'm like, boom. Perfect recipe. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to knock it out of the park. Um, th- We should talk about some of the actual metrics for this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, the year 1979. Yeah. Or... Well, uh, so this film on Rotten Tomatoes has a 90% uh, 
uh, critic score. 90% with, out of 62 reviews. Not that many, but it's certified fresh, meaning that most of the top critics had a favorable to good review of the film. 70% with audience. Um, really good score. Good score. What was the box office like for 1979, Austin? For 1979, the highest grossing movie, Moonraker, number one, with 210. Rocky two with 200. Alien... 184, Star Trek, the motion picture, 139, Kramer versus Kramer at 106, mm. Mad Max at, I guess, 99, and then 1941, a Steven Spielberg movie, uh, the Amityville Horror, Apocalypse Now, and the Muppet movie, again, taking the number 10 spot. Well, I think that's it, right? Um, yes. So we will be talking about Mad Max uh, in a minute, but also we will be having a guest who is also a Hunt Showdown and Variety streamer, Nebula. Uh, Twitch TV slash Nebula Stuff is their their stream. Go check them out. They're they play Hunt? Chill. They play Hunt, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. And they're also a huge Mad Max fan. I was I was in their stream, and you know how like you can have these sound alerts for your stream and, and all this? Mm -hmm. And they had this... This uh, witness me thing, and then you have like the war boy like jumping out and blowing himself up on the car. And <laughs> they also had a, a channel redeem for for Tina Turner in Thunderdome. <laughs> oh, she's in that movie. Yeah. Oh. She also does a song, I think. Tina Turner was like was like at the top, you, you know. Yeah, it, they were really the trying to go mainstream. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I know that I I think they also. Uh, Nebula has a soft spot for that one because of Tina Turner. Mm. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll talk about it when when they're on the episode in the next next half. Well, Nebula next... recommended this film. Sort of. I was like, I know you really like Mad Max. Would you want to do Mad Max? And they were like, yes, if George is, is okay with that. Because I was like, he's never seen Mad Max. No, this is we talked about this before, man. We need to watch more movies that I have not seen. So I'm I'm pumped that we're doing Metamax. It's been recommended. You and Nebula seem pumped about it. So I'm like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's see. It's about time. It's about time. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so excited. All right. Well, Austin. We will see you in one. Wait, wait a minute. We got to tell people where to watch Mad Max. Oh, yeah. Damn. We are off today. What is know, happening? Right? It's it's Mercury's in retrograde, I guess. I don't know. That's what people say when things aren't happening the way exactly. they want them to, right? Yep. No, always Mercury. Fuck Mercury. Right. <laughs> um, you can watch Mad Max on HBO Max, I believe. Oh, I know Mad Max Two is on Fury is on uh, HBO Max as well. By the way, did you hear about that that video game, the oh. Warner Brothers video game? The Mad Max one? No, they're making a a, a Warner Brothers, uh, oh, Smash Brothers, basically a multiverse, right, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, is Mad Max <laughs> in it? I if if they put Mad Max in the movie, I will pay for whatever season pass that they're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mad Max, the original Mad Max, is not on HBO Max. It's not two, the three, disrespect. And four the disrespect. We gotta. It seems like really the only way to watch this movie is renting it. 
Yep. Uh, you can rent it on YouTube, Apple TV, Amazon Prime. I actually have the DVD for, for the the Blu-ray for the first Mad Max. So I think that's how I'm going to watch it. Cool. I, I think I'm going to go old, old fashioned with it. Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> that's not old. Fa- <laughs> All right. Back when my grand that's what my granddaddy used to do. We'll go to Amazon Prime. <laughs> Rent it for, for three dollars. <laughs> All right. Well, Austin. All right, everybody. We will see you in one minute. Tomorrow, in a world gone mad, and the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop. One of the best. Where does it run to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my thread collection. Toe Cutter is a glory roader, one of the most sadistic. Please don't hurt my baby. You've got a pretty face, though. Both want the other dead, but only one can have his way. Mad Max. You don't want to make Max mad. Because when Max gets mad, he gets evil. American International presents Mad Max. The maximum force of the future. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. We have just finished watching Mad Max from 1979, directed by George Miller, starring Mel Gibson. This is George's first time watching the original Mad Max movie, despite being a big fan of Fury Road. Mm -hmm. And we are joined by fellow Hunt Showdown streamer, Nebula. Hello there. So real quick, before we get into what we think of the films, Nebula, you are a big fan of Mad Max of the franchise or just the first film? Um, The whole franchise. Definitely. Okay. Um, What do you when was the first time you saw or which film did you see first and kind of what was that experience like? The first time I saw the original Mad Max 1979, the very first one. I was around eight or nine years old, (laughs) and I honestly, I can't remember. I know that my mom and dad, like, let me watch it with them, but I think it was on TV, so it was a little censored, Mm -hmm. and so, it like, it didn't show certain scenes extended. It just kind of, you know, clipped away from them, that kind of thing, and it was nuts. I had no idea what was going on, but at the same time, I did, you know, so it was very much a, what is this? And where can I find more of this? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then from there, did you watch the films? Like you just found the the rest of the franchise and you're like, I got to watch it. I got to see what happens. Honestly, it was, it was by accident that I figured out that there were more films. I was like, yeah, that Mad Max is dope. And like none of my friends, you know, they were like, I don't know what this, I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) But I think it was at the video store. It was like a local video store. And there was Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And I'm like, wait a minute, Mad Max. So, and then I was like, mom, please let me, please. It's Mad Max. And she was like, oh yeah, that's Tina Turner. And I was like, oh, because I like music. (laughs) So it was like a, it was like a quadruple whammy. I didn't know how to deal with it. So I never saw them in chronological order. You know what I mean? I So I just, I saw Beyond Thunderdome first before I saw Road Warrior. Wow. Oh, interesting. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, well, now we're going to have to really dig into this. And then (laughs) I was hooked. (laughs) 
So how old were you when you saw Thunderdome? Thunderdome, I think I was around 13. So it had been a few years and I was a little older, a little more Mm. angsty. And it was definitely like right up my alley. It was like, this is a whole mood. I need this mood. (laughs) I love those angsty years. Uh, Oh, yes. They were so good. So good. So then you went from one to three and then two. And then you saw and then I'm assuming you watched uh, Fury Road or yeah, Fury Road recently. Yes. I did not get to see it in theaters, though. Oh, wow. Um, I I saw it um, like a year after it came out. And I I had always wanted to see it in theaters, but it was just like, ah, I just never got to. So Mm. I had to watch it curled up on the couch, which was just as good, Mm. I will say. So I'm just curious, which is your favorite Mad Max film? Oh, no, it's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. It's I I like to say Mad Max 1979 is my favorite because it was it was the thing that made me really interested in this kind of universe and this kind of movie and like the post-apocalyptic hellscape kind of <laughs> which I must be a weird kid but I always kind of say you know what it's just it's this movie right here is Mad Max just the story of how it was created like what they did what they had to work with, it was really like art reflecting life and mm-hmm. how, you know, the whole process. So I think that's kind of why I fell in love with it. Damn. Okay. So you really, it sounds, you, I could hear it in your voice. You're, you're a fan of this movie. This is your I am a fan. <laughs> okay. I'm terrible. I, yeah, it's, it's a thing. I have stickers on my car, on my computer. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a thing. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for joining us on, on thank you for joining us talking about this film. It's good to have someone who's really enthusiastic about the film that we're talking about. Oh, thank you for having me. And honestly, I never in my entire life would I expect anyone to want to hear this much about Mad Max. So I'm oh. pretty hyped. <laughs> Did you watch the the documentary? Yes. <gasps> Wait, nice. what? Uh, There's a doc? I I just found out there was a documentary. I'm like, oh my god, that would have been so good to have watched it before. Yeah, I'm I, glad we have an expert. <laughs> uh, I okay, so there's a doc on this. Yes, it's called The Madness of Max. I think it was released um, in 2015, but I I, think I don't. So. I think it was recorded before. Like they used some stuff from before 2015. I think yes. they kind of like released it to coincide with the Fury Road release. So is it a doc about the first film? It's a documentary about the first film, right? Yes. Oh. Yeah, it came out in 2015. It is nice. really interesting. And the interviews are great, um, especially from the people that worked really hard at creating just this chaos and making it into something kind of beautiful. They're, they're kind of hilarious, a lot of them, to be honest. <laughs> they're, they're, they're great guys. It's really interesting to hear their perspectives. Awesome. I definitely want to watch it now. I'm going to watch it. Because the making of this movie, must it must have taken an army to make this movie. Or at least a, a small group of people <laughs> who worked like an army. <laughs> that, yes. Yeah, like a Swiss army knife of people. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is a super low budget film, but... I mean, the things that they pulled off in this film, I'm just like, there's no, that must have been a safety hazard. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But so, George, this is the first time you've seen the movie, right? Yes. So what did you think? Okay, so I really liked it. However, (laughs) and and look, man, (laughs) I'm sorry to do this. I like the film a lot. I still, I still, I still prefer Fury Road. 
which I mean, you know, that being the first Mad Max film, there is a special yeah. place for it in my heart. I think overall, I like the story. It's um, I lo- I love the acting. I I love the performances, the characters, mm-hmm. the world, how they kind of like yes. showcase the setting and how they leave some stuff like very like uh, up to your own imagination or to like you have to interpret things. It's very in line with Fury Road. Um, I loved all that. I think the car chases were dope. I I really like I like Mel Gibson as Mad Max. I do. I, <laughs> yeah. I there's just there, I remember just watching it and like I know what he said and stuff like that. But I'm just watching. It's like, damn, he's so cool. Like <laughs> he, he's cool. He's a cool. Like Max is a cool guy. He is. Um, yeah. There's a a lot of positives in this. My biggest complaint about the film, which isn't even fair to be honest um i think it just comes with like watching something that's mm-hmm. you know pretty old yeah. is that it's mm-hmm. very janky right yeah oh yeah and oh yeah i think sometimes you you're okay with it like you don't care like with robocop you know ed209 ed209 is janky <laughs> as fuck and and robocop <laughs> has some janky parts but overall it's such a great viewing i i ignore it i don't care uh, or like um, Terminator, you know, the original Terminator. Also, yeah. like Peter yeah. Jackson's, uh, not the Evil Dead. Um, Brain Dead? Brain Dead, yes. Brain Wait, Dead. Was that, was that Peter Jackson? Yeah, that was Peter Jackson. That's his first film. Yes. <laughs> this this movie reminded me a lot of those. Brain Dead, uh, Terminator. These are films, well, less Robocop, more Terminator and, and the other ones. Because they're like kind of feature debuts. Of, of mm-hmm. these directors who would become really, really, really big stars. Exactly. Right. And and like Terminator, you know, we re- I revisited that for our Terminator 2 episode and I expected it to be jankier. It wasn't. This movie, or same with Braindead and Peter Jackson. That movie's campy, but it's not janky. This movie has some things that are pretty janky and I was like, it's a little distracting how janky it is at times. <laughs> I could go into it a little bit more in detail. Uh, sometimes it's a little distracting. That being said, though, look, they made this on next to no budget. Uh, how many crew members did they actually have? Those those credits went by really quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So, you know, is it a little distracting? Yes. But ultimately, I do think it adds somewhat to the experience. I don't think it's harmful to a certain extent. I still think it's enjoyable and it's definitely worth watching, especially watching a, like with the franchise because you really see this vision just grow into what fury road is and what the franchise is going to grow into because we have the 2024 film with george miller directing again so it's worth watching because it's mm-hmm. really fun and it's so suspenseful like that ending had mm-hmm. me like oh god yes. <laughs> oh like with the whole chase we uh talk about the story really quick yes 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 get into it all right, uh, Nebula. We usually do the story in like two minutes or so. And, but since you're such an expert and you're our guest, would you like to give like a two-minute summary of Mad Max? Oh my goodness, I would be honored. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a sort of. It's supposed to be at the time a near future dystopian Australia, which is what the wiki said. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of crazy motorcycle gangs and 
there's just, it's a little chaotic, you know, it's sort of the beginning of the end of the world. And as it, you know, it's going to plummet into what is Fury Road, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a biker gang dude named the Knight Rider, (laughs) and he gets arrested. Um... And uh, he manages to escape. And of course, he gets killed by our protagonist, which is Max Rokotansky, the greatest dude you've got on the main force patrol, which is the highway patrol unit. He's he's a baddie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Knight Rider is uh, is very beloved to this motorcycle gang led by Toe Cutter, who is amazing. He's mm-hmm. the same actor who plays um, Morton, Morton Joe. Joe fabulous and so now it's sort of things are spiraling into literal madness a lot of shit goes down with max and his mate goose and eventually he has to kind of is he a good guy or a bad guy now is there law now or what what's happening so it's sort of the fall of society and him trying to be a good cop and protect people but also he gets a little crazy he goes a little nuts the toe cutters gang like they target the they target goose because like there's that thing with johnny the boy right yeah mm-hmm. johnny the boy um gets arrested and you know goose saw you know the crazy shit that they were doing they attacked this couple and they're like he's like holy shit these guys are literally maniacs like they terrorized an entire town <laughs> and mm-hmm. like legit actually pretty unnerving part of it Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's like, so there's no way to request a sequester a jury because there's no one that's going to go against this biker gang. Toe cutter? Uh-uh. They already saw what they did. So like they can't even have a trial. So he gets released and he ends up getting targeted as revenge. Poor goose. He was a great guy. And then guy. Max tries to leave the force and like just go off with his family, uh, Jesse, and there's baby son sprog i think yeah (laughs) but then of course the toe cutters gang like catches up to them and kills the the jesse and sprog and then max goes back to the police headquarters and takes the the black on black v8 interceptor and then runs down the rest of the gang one by one gets his revenge and also sort of falls into a little madness, hence Mad Max. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. He becomes Mad Max at the end of the movie. He's definitely he's not mad at the beginning. <laughs> definitely not. No, he's cool. Maybe he's a chill. <laughs> he's pretty, yeah, he's pretty chill. He's a cool dude. I, I think this is one of those movies where you can tell you're in good hands within like the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yes. Because that, that chase scene is something that like will live inside of me forever. <laughs> same. That's honestly one of the things when people ask me, well, what's your favorite part or what's your, what's the thing? And I'm like, all of the chases and all of the scenes are interesting, but that first chase has you. You can't not. Yeah, it really sets up the tone. This is a car movie. You realize how cool Max is. I literally in the beginning, that's when I said Max is cool. Like he's a cool guy and it just sets up. The tone, how depraved people are, you know, even the cop, like watching the couple. Oh, yeah. Having sex. They are not good people. (laughs) They are not. No. Him holding a gun like that. It made me anxious. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, oh, God. And Knight Rider is just this man is not in a great state of mind when he starts crying. (laughs) He's not. (laughs) 
Oh. Poor guy, dude. And I love how they set up like the like these big accidents when the car mm-hmm. goes through the RV. Oh, My favorite yeah. part. Yeah, it's just not. It just gets shredded. It's just crazy. Absolutely, it was. Uh, what a way to start a movie. And yeah, oh no, it was so good. So that's a great intro. And it it is like a kind of dystopian world, but they don't really show you a lot, a lot of. Uh, of like where the world is there's not a lot of like backstory it just says a few years from now yeah but you can tell how bad things have gotten just in this scene you know like the cops are like they're just uh i guess on the other side of the law but they're kind of just as crazy you don't get a sense that they're at they're an actual police force that they're an institution you think like it's just you and some guys who bought some leather jackets and now you're the law. (laughs) It's very off-putting. It It is. That's one of the great things I think about this film, that it does. You know, I mean, we've we've seen Fury Road, so we know how batshit insane this entire world becomes. But what I love about this movie is that it feels very real. Like, when, when you, you know, you don't know that you're at the beginning of Apocalypse, right? You exactly. you don't under you don't know when shit's about to hit the fan, so it feels like this is this is that moment or it's right before this. But there are hints of it everywhere, you know, with the yes. with the road signs, uh, and you're like, this feels off. It feels real, like it feels grounded, you know, like when the people eating the diners and stuff. But it's so off putting that the they're 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 justice hall. Yeah, all falling apart and it's all nasty. Yeah, yeah and it's not packed. The main offices are like in shambles. It's not yeah. like an actual office, you know. It's not like in RoboCop where, oh, you know, everyone has a computer or a desktop, and you know, filing cabinets are straight up. And no, it just yeah. feels like nobody cares. Everything's disheveled, and there's just this sense of unease. It's like, oh my god, what what's happening? <laughs> I love the 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 night writer's like monologue too. Like he's just kind of screaming on the the police radio the entire time. Yes, it's my favorite. I'm the night rider, fuel injected, suicide machine. It's like, what is he doing, dude? Like as a kid, I was like, what the? F- this guy is so weird. What is happening? I am the night rider. <laughs> I'm a fuel-injected suicide machine. Ask Toe Cutter. He knows who I am. He knows who I am. <laughs> He's like <laughs> wagging his finger. <laughs> What's funny though is everything you just said, I was saying it, and I'm a grown ass man watching this. <laughs> Everything you said, I said verbatim. Who? It, what's happening? Who, what? What's this monologue? <laughs> it's so I weird. am a rocker. I am a roller. <laughs> so good it's just insane i think you know going back to what you said george it's i think that's one of the reasons that kind of caught me as a kid is because it looked like the world in which i existed right Mm -hmm. and i mean i was born in 85 don't tell nobody my age (laughs) but i you know i kind of grew up in the late 80s early 90s and you know my parents had like a house that looked like their house right it's like comfy and like you know the sheets don't all match but like it doesn't matter because like it's all good there's crystals in the windows and shit Mm. you know it's just like man this could be 
my world. This could be a few years from now. You know, that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. I couldn't explain that as a kid. I didn't under fully understand, but it had that feeling, right? Like, this looks real. Well, as a kid, you 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 got all of that. You know, you couldn't put it in the words, but that's that's what drew you in. I mean, yeah. that's what the film does very well. It draws you into that and it gives you this sense of like something's off. It doesn't you you know what I mean? It's kind of like when we play video games, we don't really see yes. the apocalypse or the days before or the months before, yeah. but we're in the apocalypse. No, this movie is like, no, this is, you know, shit's, you know, shit's bad, but we're not there yet. And I'm assuming from what Austin has told me that the second one is right where things like they're bad. It's, oh, it's bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and then it just progressively gets worth with the third one adding a Thunderdome and the fourth one just being all out Mm -hmm. you got a bullet farm you've got a citadel it's just like okay gas town (laughs) yes gas town (laughs) no this this movie is wild and it's got such a great personality though like you have you have characters like uh or uh, the knight rider at first right who's just at a crazy level and then you have the police officers chasing him who are also kooky they 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 they, they are dude. they try to go into the pursuit three times and they- yeah, Roop. <laughs> Roop is like the one that's the the craziest he's like the most bloodthirsty and he's not supposed to drive yeah <laughs> oh that was that was wild and then what and i think that's why mad that's why max stood out so much because everyone else is like playing it up but max is like hey you guys need any help max we need much help. damage hey max look at this really really sick looking ass car you should stay look at it and i was like yeah max like bruh (laughs) he he's so he's so cool and chill i think yeah mel gibson did a a great job in this role i'll I'll give him that Mm because and he's believable throughout the whole film and yet there's the i know the exact moment he went mad you said it, Nebula. At the end, that scene in the hospital where he's overhearing the doctors talk about his his baby, DOA, just the way he's lit, the camera angle, just his look, it's like, oh no. There it went. He cracked. It's like kind of sinister in a way. It's like the sinister kind of darker side takes over where before he seemed kind of, like you said, chill. well put together. He's, you know, and he, it doesn't seem like he's a cop who likes hurting people you should hey i i have i have a responsibility i have a job i leave that at work at home i'm I'm with my wife but at the end it's like no i want all of them yes he does have a line uh when he's trying to quit uh toward i guess right before he goes on that like Mm. vacation with his family he says that if i stay out here any longer i'm gonna turn into one of them i'm a, a terminal psychotic i think is the term they use yes and i I think you can kind of see it in the the beginning of the movie when he plays chicken with Knight Rider. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's a little bit and you can see his look as he's just there he goes. <laughs> he's like, I'm staying on this road. I'm going to crash into this guy. He's going to have to move. Yeah, that actually, that's a really great point. I think throughout the film, they kind of foreshadow the fact that Mad Max is uh, he's a bit of a not a thrill seeker. Um I think he's a bit more like a, a bit more aggressive than we would initially say. Yeah. And then at and the he's end, he's really good at driving. Yes. <laughs> really good. Oh man. I, and what happens to the character? It's, it's really tragic. It is, yeah. And it's, tragic. you know, this, it's interesting. We've seen this story pl- done plenty of times. 
this mm-hmm. is probably one of the oldest stories around, right? I'm sure there's a story like this in the Bible, except with horses <laughs> and donkeys and not cars. Witness. <laughs> but I... <laughs> <laughs> I, it, but I, you know, this story of revenge, uh, you know, yes. getting the people who did you wrong, who killed your family, bringing them to justice, you know? I mean, we've grown up on this story. But Mad Mad Max has, like, a really... It takes its time, and it doesn't fall into some of the cliches that other films had. Because watching the last half of this film, I'm like, oh, okay, so I I had my own notes. I'm like, oh, they're going to kill her right here, and this is going to happen. No, they kept her alive. They kept it going. And it's not until she gets on the highway, we're like, oh, no. Then you know. Yeah, Yeah, but... I really like how he extended that scene, that sense of tension, you know, because I had a feeling she's going to I knew she was going to die only because they made three other films and she's not around. (laughs) So I knew she was going to die. I was just a matter of when. And, it, it, you know, Tarantino has this thing about having like a rubber when you're writing a scene kind of it's like pulling a rubber band apart, you know, and the longer you pull it apart when you let it go, there's a higher sense of tension of release. That's how I felt with the last half of this film. It was just a rubber band being pulled. And I'm just like, all right, when's it going to go? When's it going to let up? Oh, not yet. There it is. And it's like when they ran her over. But up to that point, you know, Max is fixing the car. She's by the beach. The beach scene is long. You see her walk. There's that walk to the woods, too. Oh, yeah, the walk through the woods. The walk through the woods at the beach, walk back. That's just long. And then her in the house, her forgetting the baby, which I forgot, too. I was like, oh, shit, the baby. <laughs> Sprog. And then the confrontation in, in that in front of that house, the actual chase. I'm just like, oh, my God. Uh, other the lady film- with the double barrel ain't playing. Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. loved her. So good. It was it, he drew that tension out. And I'm just like other people would have just killed her immediately. You know, like they would have just skipped all that, killed her at the beach and you know, tip, like other typical films. This one, this film was like, no, we're going to, this is a scene where there's tension here. And we're going to make you feel every minute of it, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Exactly. Tragic. Yeah, great tension. Yeah. This movie has a lot going for it, especially on the low budget. Yeah. Lot. Very low. Yeah. There is, there's a, something with the, like, there's a, a trope, right? Where you kind of kill your male protagonist, like wife. To motivate him to continue the movie. Fridging, right? right? Which it, this movie, huh? Fridging? Fridging? I, yeah. I think that's the term. Oh. Which the movie, it, yeah, it is guilty of that. Yes. Uh, and it is kind of guilty of maybe not giving a lot of um, characterization for its female characters. But it is something that, like, because, like, in this movie, they are, like, sexual objects or uh, raped by the gang or killed by the gang, right? That's kind of the only uh, role you see the women in this movie. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. And I think as the series goes on, there's it opens up, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, you compare this to Fury Road. It's it, I wouldn't say it's night and day, but there's definitely a way bigger emphasis on the female characters. I What I will say, and you're, abs- you're absolutely right, I think this film is guilty of fridging, fridging the wife. I... I'm thankful it's not worse. Do you know what I mean? I definitely... Yes. I think because of the time period and kind of what we've seen in Hollywood films, uh, not even in Hollywood, but just in cinema everywhere, I was expecting a way worse portrayal 
uh, than what we got. I was expecting way more rape, um, explicit rape, especially mm-hmm. with the wife. Yeah. I, I it, it was fucked up of me to, but I was like, they're gonna rape her. Oh God, they're gonna do it. I don't, I don't want to see. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to see this. Thankfully, they never did that route. There is rape. I think it's more implied. Like when the couple yeah. are driving the car, yes. the the couple are driving the car and they're ambushed by Toe Cutter's gang. You don't see the actual scene. You don't see what plays out. You just see Goose or yeah. Goose and Max arrive at the scene and the car is destroyed. Johnny's uh, handcuffed or Johnny's there. And then you see the man running away. I think he was also raped. Yeah. Yes. So, I, you know, you, you don't know, you don't see it go down. I that made me feel a, a little bit better, I guess, because I was like, I didn't want to see all it. I felt like it would have been gratuitous and just mm-hmm. agreed. I, you know, I I love Evil Dead, but um, there's that scene where one of the female characters is being possessed, and there's like a branch uh, rape scene. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and you know, watch. I love that movie, but that scene is always really uncomfortable. And even Sam Raimi has gone on to say like he regrets. Uh, filming that scene, even just writing that scene, it was like mm-hmm. I could have. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people back then that would make things to shock audiences, yes, right? Absolutely, I, exactly. Uh, we have a, a friend who does this other podcast called Cinder Nation, and he was talking about one of Cronenberg's early movies about like rapey zombies. Do you remember rapey zombies? Yeah, it's rapey like zombies. the Shivers or something. Ooh, no. Yeah. It, and then there's that the other movie, I think, uh, Carpenter's first film, or one of his first films, The Last House on the Left. Oh, yeah, it's notoriously graphic, yeah. Yeah, it's just, they just did that, I think, as like kind of a, a way to make you feel uncomfortable. And it yep. it just feels, it just, I don't like watching that stuff, especially the older I get. Yeah, that's stuff that's like, it's definitely gratuitous and definitely for the shock factor. And for the, you know, can we push this limit? Mm-hmm. And I def that's something I'm like, I, there's websites that will like, you can look up movies and like, they'll tell you if there's anything like that in there. I'm like, yeah, I'm skipping that one. Not yeah. going to lie. I, I totally agree. And, and look, I, you can argue, some people argue that, well, that's, you know, you're feeling this because that's the point, you know, like that's what rape is supposed to do. And I'm like, I'm not against uh, a movie discussing rape or having rape in it necessarily, that you know filmmakers can talk about and show whatever they want but mm-hmm. there's something about these films that just feels like it was purely done for the shock value that they they weren't able to think of other ways of creating shock and that they used rape as like a shortcut you know what i mean and it is gratuitous and it's like that possession scene in evil that could have been played very differently and it mm-hmm. still would have had the same effect and sam raimi knew that and he that's why he regrets it and i mean you have to also understand these filmmakers were young you know they wanted to be mm-hmm. edgy yeah, they were. and i don't think you know they i don't think when you're a young man you totally understand everything that's happening with rape you know yes. unless unless you've experienced it but there is something where it's like you don't understand the 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 gravity behind such an act so you'll just kind of put it in a film and you won't even second guess it. it's like oh man isn't that edgy and it's like well it's well. it's it's uh it's not not right not appropriate i agree with that i feel like you know sometimes if it's put in you know just for the sake of putting it in when it could be implied and still be just as awful 
I've seen a few movies where it's they do not show, you know, the actual rate, but it is implied and you're like, okay, right, that's pretty terrible. But especially when it's coming from a male perspective of someone who's not survived something like that, it can be, you know, tone deaf, <laughs> to yes. put it like yeah. Tone deaf is a perfect way of saying mm-hmm. it. And, and here's the thing. We, we're watching an example of a film yeah. not not a, not doing that. You know, Mad Max, there is implied yes. rape, but there's no actual scene of rape. But we, we still get the sense of it. It still leaves us very disturbed. I mean, Toe Cutter is villainous. He he's, is. He's terrible. And pro- and honestly, like, he has probably done things, not just rape, but so many other things that are horrible. We don't see all the things that he's done, but we get yeah. a sense of that. And by the end, I was like, Max, I was like, kill this motherfucker. <laughs> For real. And, and you see Toe Cutter and his gang kill his wife but you don't actually see the impact you don't see the wheel hitting her her hair her skull her head hitting the pavement you don't see all that it's just you know a quick shot yeah and you just and that is awful it's Mm -hmm. awful and it it gives you that same sense of anger and just you know just sadness and some people would say well we need to see her skull completely break and crack to get that no we nope. didn't get that, and we got I think the exact by, same feeling. by showing it. Like you're kind of like giving into that like violence fetish, which I think the film does have like a, a fetish for violence. We want to see the explosions and the car crashes yes. and stuff. But the way it, it filmed that scene, you're not allowed to like enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you yeah. have to. the The violence is all implied, and it's an awful thing that you're not allowed to to enjoy. You just see like the shoe flap and the the boy's ball like roll yeah forever yeah and it there's a what i love about this movie and george miller there's a restraint to the violence and the sexual violence that i was not i was surprised was there i wasn't expecting that i was expecting an evil dead i was expecting kind of super gratuitous levels of violence and watching i was like wow i'm getting some really strong i have strong reactions to what's happening but i didn't see the kill we didn't see the rape. This is very mature filmmaking. Really yeah. mature. What you do see is the the car being destroyed. And I think with the amount of like damage and the quick shots that you see done to that car, that's all you need. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. I also think that's because, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but George Miller is actually an ER doctor. And that yes. was how he <laughs> funded a lot of... The post-production was he went back to work at the hospital so he could edit everything together. Wait, 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 wait. He's an ER doctor? Yes. 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 And he also grew up in the area where they filmed it in Queensland, in a very rural area. And growing up, there's he just he saw a lot of car accidents and he lost friends when he was a teenager. So all of the injuries and the and the messed up stuff you see in the Mad Max films he's seen in the ER. And so there is that, as you said, like a restraint to it. You don't get like anime blood, you know, (laughs) where it's just like, you know, like all this blood and guts flying all over the place. And it's like, okay, it's more realistic in that sometimes you don't actually see the severity of an injury, you know, depending what it is. Like even in Fury Road, there's some scenes like with a Morton Joe getting his face wallop. I mean, you see it, but very briefly. 
It's just, yeah. it's very realistic in that way. And I do appreciate that they actually don't show all of it. You just see kind of a shot of an aftermath or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, like you guys were saying. Yeah. And wow, that actually makes me respect George Miller a fuck ton more. Uh, just because he's 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 a very smart man, but he just became a lot smarter in my book. <laughs> and, yes. But two, also, <laughs> he's I amazing. Mean, he, he's incredible. And um, that's that's an interesting thing. You know, you have someone who grew up in this area and he's seen a lot of accidents. He's lost a lot of he's lost some friends. And the fact that he's still able to make a film about this um, and with restraint, but also have a sense of fun about it is yeah. very mm-hmm. mature because, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he, I mean, I can imagine an NC-17 version of this where there's a bunch of rape, a bunch of murder, a bunch of gore. I could also see this movie being way too goofy, you know what I mean? Like too, too silly. Uh, and this movie finds the right balance. I mean, one of the one of my favorite things that's kind of silly is um, right before Toe Cutter dies, his eyes bulge out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it it shows a filmmaker who's having a sense of fun, but still respects the violence enough. You know, it, it, could he do it a little too much? Yeah, you can make the argument, but I still think it's pretty balanced. And I think because he what he saw a lot of that he saw that growing up, it it kind of. I think when people experience real violence or real prejudice, they kind of come, they kind of come with that restraint, you know, like they know how far to push things and how far not to. Whereas I think some people who haven't experienced violence probably just experienced it through films that they've seen. They tend to go a bit more balls to the wall. And it seems like George Miller kind of knew where to push the boundaries and where to kind of hold back. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Although like, uh, should I talk about the critical response now? Yeah, let's talk about it. They yeah. they did not agree with what we're saying right now. They thought this movie was for sadists. And there is this article that I found from a newspaper from 1979. This is an Australian newspaper magazine called The Bulletin. The The quote that, that people like to, to pull from it is the it's called it's by philip adams who is like an australian like movie media critic uh he said that he didn't expect mad max to make a clockwork orange look like bambi i was right about the script <laughs> dr miller's epic has all the moral uplift of mein kampf what oh my goodness <laughs> what the yep. fuck wow that's uh, rough make ba- make make clockwork orange look like bambi we did not even oh my god right what the fuck yeah and he said that the movie was for it's he's arguing that the movie is kind of fetishizing the violence too much like it's it's kind of made for people who have these who who, he's arguing that it might incite people to be violent oh Oh my i well actually scared the hell out of me (laughs) i mean i you know, like it, it goes back to that this could be a few years from now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that shit is scary. Now, I don't want to be a part of Toe Cutter's gang as much as I love all of their, their quotes <laughs> yeah. and their names like, you know, mud guts and shit. I just <laughs> no, it's scary. So it's interesting that he would have that take on it. I'm not surprised, yeah. though. It No, not at it, all. it lines <laughs> up. I don't want to call him a square, but he sounds like a square. Like, I mean, he does sound square. like a square. square. 
Is I, it hip to be square? Yeah, I mean, there. <laughs> I mean, okay, there. I think there is, or what it might be is just because Mad Max gave me this the vibe of Roger Corman's Fast and the Furious, the original Fast and Furious, like before Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. You know, like this movie, <laughs> Mad Max has B movie qualities to it, definitely. Like it is not. Uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick's cinema, you know, it, it has more in line with B-movie cinema. And if you're not a fan of that, then yeah, I can't imagine you would like this movie a lot. I don't think my mom would like this movie. She's not into that, you know. But to say that this movie makes Clockwork Orange look like Bambi is like the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. It is. That movie is... About it's way more graphic. It's way more graphic, and it's way and more emotional. It's making you sympathize with the the guy doing all the stuff. Jeez, yeah, exactly. That the the most of the movie is about humanizing the lead character, who is a rapist murderer, and the, and that movie has psychological torture. Like that mm-hmm. movie psychologically tortures the main character on mo- it, it, just characters in general multiple yeah. times. So. Okay, yes, does, does Mad, is Mad Max violent? It is, but to compare this in Clockwork is like, you didn't even try to like this movie. Hell, you just went in, what the fuck? I, I'm, now I'm angry. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, before we, before we move, move on, what did he say about Mein Kampf? What was the compare? He, he said it had the moral uplift of Mein Kampf. Bruh. Okay, you're comparing a fictional film right to an actual book document that was used to justify the genocide of an entire ethnic group mm-hmm. i don't def not the same no i oh, think he he goes on to say uh when i say the film will be a special favorite of rapists sadist child murderers oh. and incipient mansons and callies he'll run that proudly in his ads referring to the the publicists of roadshow pictures wow <sighs> Yeah, well, no, this this dude, I don't know if he's alive or not, but this dude would definitely have beef with, like, GTA and, and Doom, <laughs> and he would be on the whole, the, the guys in Columbine the killed. The moral majority. Yeah, where he's like, those people that did Columbine would play Grand Theft Auto, and that was the reason they hurt all those people. It's like, oh my goodness, I, that's exactly what he sounds like. Um, yeah. He, he has to clutch his pearls just a little. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's look, a little I, disturbing for. Him. And look, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Sometimes violence is not for everyone. It just it. Some people don't like seeing it. They don't like reading it. Hey, yeah. that is totally fine. But don't compare a B movie to Mein Kampf, okay? And if you're a film critic, at least under like understand. Don't compare Mad Max and and Clockwork. Like, come on, you're better than this, <laughs> right? Ah, <sighs> yeah. And he goes on to say some really patronizing things uh towards the end of the article one of them was like oh my god no i've watched extremely violent films in some of the roughest cinemas in new york where the violence (laughs) in the foyer and the footpath puts the fantasies to shame given the social realities in for example brooklyn a movie like the french connection comes as light relief but australian society is not as apocalyptic as America's. So the power of Mad Max, which is unequivocally an offshore American movie, is exaggerated. I suspect it's as dangerous as introducing our innocent avos to alcohol. Like, does he realize what he even just said? Like, the violence around you is worse than the violence in the movie. 
do you not realize that those are war boys in the making? If this were the apocalypse, bro, there's Toe mm-hmm. Cutter's gang outside the theater ready to take your wallet. Come on, Jesus. man. Yeah, no, this guy's an idiot. I'm sorry. Don't listen to him, guys. No one listens to him. Mad <laughs> no. Max is great. Or, or you know what? Uh, read the review and then watch the film, and it's going to make you appreciate it even more. Yes. I want to watch it again. I want to rent this movie again, just so I'm giving my money, just supporting <laughs> anything this guy does not like. Yes. You know who else hated this movie? Who? Stephen King. No <laughs> way. Get, get the fuck out of here. You know what, Stephen? You're going to have to stop. Stephen King also hated The Shining. Yeah. I think that was more of a personal yeah. thing. That might be a little personal. Well, Stephen King, look, man, props to him. Great writer. <laughs> that man has some of the most polarizing taste ever. Sometimes he'll, <laughs> he'll review a movie and I'm like, oh, T- Stephen King is totally right. Like, this is on point. And then he'll talk about a movie and it's like, what the fuck? What, what, what drug were you on this time? <laughs> yeah. this. Uh, to be fair, this was in the 80s when he wrote this book called Dance Macabre, which is Dance of the Dead. Well, he he's talking about how certain in this book, he's talking about how certain things in the world and influenced the media that it was written in. Mm. And he talks about the American car genre. Uh, He talks about Duel, Steven Spielberg's Mm -hmm. first film Mm -hmm. where like the semi truck driver is trying to chase down this like businessman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Talks about the car from 1977 with James Brolin where like a car is like chasing him i think killing bicyclists and stuff oh my and he's talking about others and then he's like but you know what turkeys such as death race 2000 and mad max hardly count Bruh. and turkeys is like the old fogey way of saying your movie sucks <laughs> well you know but then like come like 20 2020 uh there was some like twitter poll that he replied to saying like what are your favorite australian films and he says mad max movies Bruh. okay so he he's come around then he's come around he's to come it. around he watched thunderdome that's what happened <laughs> <laughs> he saw it he, he saw knows. tina turner and he was in love that, and, that, that's well, it. i mean that i mean that to be fair that happens a lot i've seen plenty of films that i disliked the first time around years later come to love them so i believe the film was also banned in sweden until yes. the year 2000. Yes. Get the fuck out of here. They what? said no thank you to this movie. Whole movie. Yeah. Not even They didn't even cite like a particular scene for being the reason. They just said no. Really? And it was also banned in New Zealand. And I the reason it was banned in New Zealand was because of the way Goose dies. How like they he crashes his car and they light him on fire. I guess it was too similar to a real life incident. Where someone was burned in their car. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. I mean, yeah, okay. Enough to ban a film? I don't know. But I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, they. I think they lifted the ban once the second one came out and they could make money from the second one being yeah. in theaters. <laughs> so. Wow. I mean, f- from the reception yeah. that you're telling me, people are like, this is one of the, from what you're, what you're saying, I would imagine that this is one of the uh, most violent films we've ever seen. And here we are talking about how restraint it is. Uh, yeah. compared to other stuff which it, i think it is i think it holds true um yeah i i think so too um but like the the 80s and seven the late 70s and early 80s was a different time yeah i was trying to like see people to actually talk about this movie like in a video format 
But the best I could do was I found someone complaining about the Warriors from oh. 1979. Oh, no. But yeah, I mean... The Warriors, that's a violent movie, too. It I, is. It, it is a pretty violent movie, but it's like, uh, there's stuff out now that's way worse. Absolutely. And you don't have pe- people on TV saying, avoid this film for its moral depravity and disrespect of law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what's, you know what's interesting? I think the movie having this such a negative reaction when it was released just talks about how well it executed the basic components of, of storytelling. We care about these characters. And... I mean, yeah, it's horrifying seeing a mother and her child be killed. I mean, they, these doctors are cold when they're announcing the baby's dead. Like it is like DOA. That's a fucked up scene. And you, they're they're trying to harvest her for parts. Yeah, and yeah she's still viable like, or like I forget how they say salvageable. it. Salvageable. Salvageable. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, in the scene Yikes. where we we see Goose, we don't see Goose, but it's violent. It it it's disturbing. It, even Goose's death, um, his car accidents. It's it's not, um, you know, we don't see him with his burnt scars and we don't see bones popping out, but it is a violent movie. Hell, that scene where they they shoot Max in the leg and he's like, even that, you know, him like walking and when yeah. they mm-hmm. run over his arm, that's violent. But, you know, it's number one, it's not as violent as we've come to see things now, but it is still pretty restrained, you know, for then and. It, you care so much about what's happening, the situation. You're invested in it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether true, you want yeah. Max to kill them or to kind of find God at the end or something, I don't know, or forgiveness. <laughs> you, you're you invested in the situation. I don't think most people would say, I don't give a fuck what happens. No, I think most people do care. And I think, I think New Zealand and Sweden, and I think they all cared a little too much. And they're like, nope, I don't. I don't want a well. I don't want a good story where I care about the characters and their fates. I don't want to see that. I can't see my favorite characters die in this, so we're gonna ban this. Exactly, <laughs> I can't do it. That's kind of what that reads to me. Because again, yeah, uh, I'm sure Mad Max was not the most violent film in cinema existence. Oh um, no, I Last House on the Left was so much more violent so and disturbing. Worse. Yeah, so much worse. You know, for me in Mad Max, it was the reaction of these characters to the you know the scenes or the violence it made me go oh shit like yeah. you know when they find the couple and you see the way that goose reacts before mm. you know during and after when he just wants to i mean he turns into like um, like just a dingo dude he wants to kill johnny <laughs> but he's like this motherfucker yeah. you can't let him go like he's freaking out because he's like you didn't see what they did dude yeah you do not understand what they fucking did what's he mean no one showed they didn't show nobody the punks didn't show the girl didn't show the townspeople didn't show Nobody showed! We're screwed. It's the man. What do you mean no one showed? Where were you, man? It means, old man, you haven't got a case. No contest. Jesus Christ, you're not going to let him walk out the door, Fifi. That's exactly what you're going to do. Shut up. Keep on, Johnny. Keep going. Come on, it's all right. It's cool, all right? It's a cripple and a mute. He sings, and I tap dance. And so you don't see it, but you see their eyes get all big. And these are hot, like you guys, you know, we were talking about before. They're in leather. Like, it's, are they cops or bad guys? These are bad motherfuckers. And mm-hmm. they are freaked out. And that's what makes it like, oh, shit. Absolutely. And it does feel like, it, it just feels murky. And yeah, you yeah. want Goose to beat the shit out of Johnny. I did. But I did. It, but 
you know yeah, the- is it right <laughs> i don't know it just it's it feels it feels right but it seems wrong or it seems right and it yeah. feels wrong i don't know it- i think it, it feels wrong because we live in a world where we think our institutions are are pretty good and they're there to protect us and we're seeing here in this world that they're they're kind of falling apart like in the very beginning of the of the movie some something i realized during this watch is how fast those tow trucks drive out when they see yeah. the cars whiz by <laughs> yeah yeah they're like ready to pick up the parts and i guess turn a profit uh, with with the, whatever they pick up yeah uh and then the doctors is she salvageable you know and then the law enforcement you can do whatever you want as long as the paperwork's clean yeah you know it's like this oh my god you're right like the institutions themselves that we've like put our faith in our trust in are like slowly being crumbled and becoming just awful i think most people don't expect cops to act in this way but they do in this film and you expect doctors to be this all caring person and that's not the case yeah <sighs> yeah and i think because it feels so real that's why it, it messed with you so much in that yellow when you were young that's it messed with me you know and i think it messed with a lot of people it just may have felt a little too real right so. and <sighs> the game did that for me too um because i i actually had never played it until you know covid hit and it was so cheap on Steam, for some oh, reason, yeah. the Apocalypse games are like, hey, it's two bucks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna get it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sink my teeth into this. And, you know, you get to build a car and run around and blow up war boys and take down war rigs, and it's pretty badass. But my favorite part is finding the history relics. There are, I mean, and they're postcards with little notes on the back and you know a picture of someone's new motorcycle and you know just these very personal little things all over and some of them are you know a virus and people are sick and there's no food and some of them are really basic like look at us at the park isn't it great and it's just it really is like this used to be us this used to be our stuff in our world and it's a little real then when i went back and watched you know i said well of course i'm gonna rewatch this the whole series again (laughs) And it, then it hit home again and it brought back those memories of watching it as a kid. And I'm like, now I can put to words what I didn't understand as a kid because I've, you know, lived a life a little bit. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of adds to that. And it's like a little more real. Thanks, yes. Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I get, I do get a little bit of sense of that. And sometimes I was watching this stuff. I'm like, this feels a little too real. Like, I know there's a movie, but some of this stuff just feels a little like Toe Cutters Gangs. I'm like. I feel like I've seen this group of people, these groups of people like on YouTube, like in the media today. And I'm just yeah. like, yeah, I don't, yeah. uh, it, it just, uh, and you know, it was a little fantasy back then, but now it just feels like, huh. I, when I said, you know, this movie kind of feels like right before the apocalypse, like, but nobody understands that they're in the apocalypse. I kind of felt mm-hmm. that way about how, where we're at now. It's like, huh. You know, all these th- all these things are happening. You know, finances are becoming very difficult. Buying a house is difficult. You know, very pol- polarizing politics. We have a virus out there. I'm like, huh, hmm. maybe we're in Mad Max. <laughs> is this Mad Max? <laughs> is this first Mad Max right now. <laughs> right now. Yeah. And the interesting part about you mentioning like, like the biker gangs and stuff is those bikers were real biker gangs, actual outlaw bikers. 
I think they were paid in beers. Right? Yeah, vigilantes, and there's another one called the Barbarians, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, George Miller just said, "Yo, you guys want to do this? We can't. We don't really have any money, but like we have a lot of beer." And they're like, "Hell yeah! Do we get to like <laughs> zoom around and be badass?" And they're like, "Fuck yeah, dude! You're gonna be in this movie." And they said, "All right." And they were honestly just really extremely accomplished bikers. They truly were like their own stunt people. I mean, it's like, it's just kind of natural. It's like, that was the life that they lived. And so when they were like, all right, we'll come up to the set. And they had to drive like an actual biker gang for three days from Sydney to Melbourne. Wow. And uh, toe cutter, Hugh Keysburn, uh, amazing human being, is actually an accomplished biker himself. As it said on the wiki, he himself was a biker. He knew motorcycles. And he actually rode with them to get into character and to kind of... (laughs) look the part he wanted to, it to look like real bikers that are kitted up and on a long road trip and this is what they do so mm-hmm. when they roll into town you're like i this looks a little familiar for some reason it looks so just the way they move and the way their bikes look everything about mm-hmm. it is just like okay and they're oh, all wow. like in sync and they're in sync yeah, yeah it's insane you know what you couldn't have said it better in sync is the right word. It just felt like they were all on the same page, and you get the vibe. And when yeah. you when you see them come up in town and toe cutter, you get the presence that they bring, and you're like, oh, fuck, shit so just great. hit the fan. Great character intro, and toe cutter is toe cutter is great because you could have done they could have done a lot worse with that character. Like I could see a worse version of toe cutter, but they went hammy enough, intimidating enough. And just weird, <laughs> yeah. Like the way he talks, he is weird. He like he, he grabs the guy's face, the night, the night rider. rider, and when he hisses, <laughs> he's like a cat. I love it. Poor bastard. The night rider. That is his name. The night rider. The night rider. Remember him when you look at the night sky. I will. Take your hat off. Anything you say. Anything I say. What a wonderful philosophy you have. Take him away. <laughs> no, he's great. And the the actor, phenomenal job. And he, fuck, I'm... Do we need to say it? he killed it in Fury Road as well? Killed as in, it. in Morton Absolutely. Jones. Love that he was in it, and we're. I'm sad that he passed away. Mm-hmm. Me too. He I'm glad like- he was able to have the kind of like a bookend to the Mad Max franchise because I, just the way he enunciates things as a Morton Joe, the way he speaks is just so perfect. Once again, we send off my war rig to bring back gasoline from Castown. And bullets from the bullet farm. Once again, I salute my Imperator Furiosa. And I salute my Half-Life Cowboys, who will ride with me eternal on the highways of Valhalla. I just feel like, you know, the way he speaks was just right. Yeah. His cadence and just the way he delivers lines. And Isn't he a, like a Shakespearean trained actor? I believe he is. So they keep describing him as in the the docu not the documentary but the the commentary 
for the D- the Blu-ray. Yeah, I think that's where he got a lot of his experience, if if memory serves. And I think that kind of, I mean, when we're talking about restraint, you know, when you have a Shakespearean actor, I think they understand restraint because you could overact and underact Shakespeare. And to be an accomplished Shakespearean actor, I think you need to find that middle ground. Yes. You know, you need to be big and bold, but also subtle and uh, quiet, almost, if that exactly. makes sense. And I think makes perfect sense. And when he's playing someone as big as a Morton Joe like this, he's basically a god. You know, he. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. he is a god and he and he has heaven locked in. Um, You could easily you if you throw it in uh another actor it could be very campy they could be overdoing it and stuff but he brought the right amount of everything to morton joe yes. and the and that goes along with the design the way he says everything it's incredible it's it makes you that's why i think it's important to watch all these films you know i'm gonna go through and watch road warrior and thunderdome because you do need to see the evolution nice. of this franchise nice. i think it's incredible it now is. i did want to talk a little bit about the negative uh, that I kind of saw with this movie because mm-hmm. I'd mentioned the jankiness. There are <laughs> some there. The, that's I think that's what's holding the film back in my opinion yeah. is some of the jankiness. And what I mean by that is some of the editing is like off. And it is. It's like sometimes the car crashes and accidents look amazing. <laughs> Other times. I think I know what you're talking. Are you going to talk about the Knight Rider? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because there's a story behind that. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was going to say, it's almost cut to the point where I couldn't tell what happened. <laughs> and I was like, I had to rewind it a few times. And I was like, wait, so I, I know he crashed, but I I didn't register the hits. I It felt out of sync. It felt like I missed it. I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, I, it, it was very jarring and confusing, yeah, yeah. which I imagine it's due to the low budget. So I'm not going to hold it against it. But yeah, but like mm-hmm. when you have something like Terminator, you know, that movie has some ballsy stunts. You don't really see all the seams. Do you know what I mean? Like that movie is it, it still has its rough edges, but it's it seemed in really well together. This movie, not as well that the, some of the accidents were a little janky. Some of the music placement was really off. Like, uh, that, like it's due in overtime. Yeah, yeah. Right? I'm like, is that what you mean? Yeah, and I'm like, you don't need music for this scene. Like, the music's distracting. It doesn't fit the tone. I get what you're trying to do, but it's just not working. The volumes are off. The scene that mostly comes to mind is when he's talking to Jif, um, Jiffy, Jiffy or Hiffy, his boss, the boss. Oh, guy. Fifi? Fifi, Fifi. Fifi. Sorry, yeah. Fifi. When he's talking to Fifi, and he's like, "I'm leaving, Fifi." There's like music in the background and it's just so distracting. I'm like, it is. It's hard to hear them yes! speaking and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? The levels are so off. And I'm, yeah. and I'm like, get rid of the music. Like, I just need to hear what they're saying. This movie would have a better impact if there was no music. You and me, Max. We're going to give them back to heroes. Do you really expect me to go for that crap? You got to get us out of um the music was not not that great and it was it was it wasn't inserted at the best moments obviously when there's chase scenes yes totally but that conversation with fifi totally off um yeah yeah i I, I think sometimes the music does feel really off and sometimes it's like 
uh, doing a little too much. Yeah. Um, specifically when he sees Goose's like upper torso, I guess. It does a... And then yeah. The, <laughs> it like does a weird like transition effect on him. <gasps> the tra- um, Oh my God. This movie dissolves almost in every cut. How many... <laughs> every cut? I think it's like a few times that are very obvious like when he first gets into the black on black there's that weird dissolve and then when he sees goose's body there's that weird dissolve where it dissolves it dissolves onto his face like there's it's a shot of his face and it dissolves into another shot of his face (laughs) (laughs) well okay i i think you said it best I said the movie dissolves most of the cut. Most of the cuts are dissolves. You said it dissolves in some in in, uh, in some big parts, and I agree. That's why it feels like it's on most of the cuts of the film are dissolves, but it's not. None of the car chases actually have dissolves, but That's it's in true. awkward moments where they have those dissolves, and I just it's so distracting. Like the very yeah. beginning of the film, you know, you you have the sign. It's the establishing shot. You have the sign. And then it dissolves and it quickly dissolves to another shot. So you have three shots in the very beginning that are very quick and they all dissolve into each other. It doesn't kind of like it's uh, someone's first time editing a movie, right? Yes. Well, <laughs> definitely. And, and that's why I'm, I'm you know, I, uh, I'm okay with it. It doesn't detract. But it's definitely one of those things that where it's like, okay, this was someone's first time editing a film. <laughs> like, yeah. And I don't want to hold them against in, them. But in like, uh, editing in less than ideal circumstances, yes. I think. Right? Yeah, Nebula, exactly. You said that he borrowed the apartment from his friend? Yeah, he was staying at a friend's apartment. And it, it took him a year. And he had to, basically, he was doing the editing of the film in the living room. And his co-producer was doing the sound in the kitchen, literally. <laughs> like, they were like, uh, Byron Kennedy. Um, and he still uses Kennedy Miller to this day because um, Byron Kennedy had passed away in 83, I think. And he still is like, no, this guy was a badass. But he did all the mm-hmm. sound in the kitchen and they just kind of <laughs> had to mush it together. I can only imagine what that would be like with that limited space. And I think they, yeah. like, made an editing rig or they... they they literally Mad Maxed this movie. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they literally, I think that's why when I found out how they filmed it, you know, after when mm-hmm. I got older, I was like, dude, this dude did this in his living room, man. Yeah. Plus working at his, as an ER doctor on the- As like, an at, ER doctor. Dude. That's crazy. That's nuts. wild. And here, here it is. I think that's why sometimes I'm just like, man, this movie is so cheesy. Like, what are they doing with the sound is so weird. You know what I mean? You're just like, what? Yeah. And then when I think about him in his living room, just like going, fuck, how am I going to do this, dude? I don't know how to fix this spot. I guess I'll just leave it. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder if that's what it was. like. I'm not trying to assume Mr. Miller. I love you. Mm-hmm. But I can, you know, just having to have this passion and trying to mush it together the best way you can. So definitely first time trying to get it get it right you know it's it's a lot and and that's why i don't want to be harsh on the film when i say that the dissolves are jarring or that some of the cuts don't make sense um i don't want to be but you're right I, I, I don't want to harp on it too much but it is something that i do notice and i do wonder i, I feel like with everything you guys are saying it makes me even appreciate the film more um but i do wonder if someone hadn't known about the story or hadn't seen the doc or oh, haven't abs- or haven't yeah. listened to this yeah, episode yeah. which everyone should 
I think it, they <laughs> might be like, why is that film so janky? Like, oh, it's just old. It's just old. Right. It's, it's not good. It's It was made by dumb people, which is like, no. Like, oh, why is he dissolving so much? Oh, he's so dumb. It's like, no, there's, there are budget limitations. They didn't know, you know, like, this is their first time. Give him a break. You know, like, clearly he understands editing now. Because if you yeah, go now. to Fury Road, it won Best Editing at the Oscars. I love that. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. It, it it just, it's one of those things that I, it was just, it stood out a lot because the editing's off. And I was like, it's funny because George Miller, his editor would go on to win Best Editing for the fourth Mad Max film. It's like, huh. It's a real Cinderella story. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that's what happens when you keep educating yourself, when you keep learning. So mm-hmm. stay in school, exactly. kids. That's right. <laughs> there was a interview with, with uh, George Miller about, uh, I'm, I was either on the Blu-ray or in the documentary or something where he talks about how when he was editing the film, he realized he made so many mistakes <laughs> and he didn't know if he was cut out for making movies. And, and I think it wasn't until somebody picked up the movie to distribute and that he was like, oh, okay, I guess this movie is resonating with people and I'm going to take all the mistakes that I learned while making the first Mad Max to make the second one even better. I love that. I, I love that too. And it just shows that he's aware, you know, someone mm-hmm. else might've just been like, well, I made no mistakes. No, he's aware and he admits it and shit. I mean, Mad Max would go on to be a certified franchise. So, and here's the thing. Yeah. This movie has some sloppy editing choices, but the core is what matters. Like, you know, I still felt for all the characters. He clearly made a lot of decisions when it came to telling the actors how to act, story story decisions. And I still bet he had a lot of issues with budgets, but he was able to pull through. And in the end of the day, what was most important was what stood out, the story and and the stunts And for this particular film. But the, the story, story oh, yeah. was awesome oh, and the yeah. stunts were cool. Let's talk about the stunts a little bit. Nebula, do you know much about how they filmed some of the crazy stuff in this movie? I know a little bit here and there. Um, I know that uh, most of the bikers did their own stunts, as far as I know. And like just for in order to get the shots that they did is just, you know, we got a guy holding a camera on the back of a motorcycle, just like going 80 miles an hour, just holding onto the camera, like just nuts yeah. stuff. The, the right before Goose, Goose's bike accident. The, the cameraman's literally sitting on the back of this motorcycle yeah. holding this giant camera. And you can see the speedometer on the on the motorcycle. <laughs> it's like 160 kilometers yeah. per hour. I don't know how fast that is in miles per hour, but that uh, sounds pretty fast. It's pretty <laughs> That's fast. Okay. Yeah. They had a stuntman uh, whose name was, I, I think it was Grant something. Yeah, Grant Page. Grant Page was uh, the stuntman who directed all the stunts, who's actually injured in a mo- motorcycle accident on the way to the location. Oh, no. <laughs> she, he was actually driving with the actress who was originally supposed to play Max's wife, uh, an actress, Rosie Bailey. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. And, and she ended up breaking her legs. Yeah. Or breaking what? a leg. Yeah. yeah. So she couldn't do it. Um, and they had... He, he was injured, too, but George Miller only trusted grant to to do all the stunts so they had him out in a wheelchair telling people how to do the stuff oh my goodness legendary legendary uh but what i wanted to talk a little bit about the night riders car crash because it is a little weird right like 
he's driving and then all of a sudden his car is going really fast and it spins around the truck and then it just explodes on a, a pileup. Yeah. Yeah. Was not originally supposed to happen. What was supposed to happen was the Knight Rider is supposed to crash into that truck that's stalled on the road and then he's supposed to explode there. Mm-hmm. But they actually put a military grade booster rocket on the back of the Knight Rider's car. <laughs> and the car went off course. Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. And it missed it's the nuts. entire. Yeah. It missed the entire thing that's supposed to hit. And I don't know how accurate this is. This is on the Mad Max wiki. They're saying that they lost sight of the car. <laughs> and, and they didn't know where it went. And it almost hit them. Okay, can I just say, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking the exact same thing watching the car. I was like, where did the car go? <laughs> In the beginning, like, w- w- I thought the accident was supposed to happen. I was like, where did the car go? I didn't catch it. I didn't see it. That's why it felt so jarring. <gasps> it's no so way. Amazing. Yeah, it ended up like, it almost hit them, right? And it goes into this fence and they're like, well, can't use that shot, so we'll just drag it into a pileup and then trigger an explosion. Yeah. So that's why it it looks as janky as it does, is because they only had one rocket. Maybe they shouldn't have had the rocket in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, They're like, well, let's not do that one again. Yeah. Yeah. There's the one stunt that really like makes me go, ooh, is when the I don't know which which guy it was, but. When Max is first like driving through the the gang and he hits them and some of them like go off the bridge. Oh, that scene is the scene I was gonna bring up. The guy skidding. That's the one. Yeah, where the bike hits him in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Dude. Oh my god. Yeah, this movie made it's kind of like uh, the good, the bad, the weird. This movie had me anxious for the stunt double, stunt doubles, or some, <laughs> some people. Yeah. Like, are they okay? Are they were they okay after this scene? Because I'm concerned. Uh, apparently, the guy got up and walked away afterwards. He was fine. Yeah, I guess he was good. On the the uh, Mad Max fandom wiki, there's they said that the helmet was actually too big for the stunt stunt man. I don't know which stunt man it was, but it was too big for him. So it ends up looking worse than it was because the the bike is actually pushing his helmet off of his head. Yeah, and not, like, not it pushing looks his like. Head. Yeah, mm. it looks like his whole head is just going places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and it, he wasn't supposed to, to crash it that way, because I guess you're supposed to kind of keep your bike in front of you when you crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like a I, kind of like a padding. You use it. You kind of drive it as it's sliding, essentially. Mm hmm. Not that I'm a stunt expert, I guess. Uh, I, yeah, the, the stunts in this movie. And because, you know, it's low budget. You're like. Oh no! Please, please, everyone, be okay. Yeah. And they they did it all like for real. There's no green screen or anything. They couldn't like, have back in the day like, like that with that no, bu- they with that budget. But, with, but sometimes what they'll do in like Hollywood productions at around this time is they'll like have the people in a car and then like rear project, you know, the the background that they're driving mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the yeah. the Getaway, which is a Steve McQueen movie in '73. Mm, good stuff. There's like this car chase where Love Steve. you can tell, well, Steve McQueen's not really driving. This is all rear projected and he's acting like he's in the car. Yeah. You know, um, but in this movie, they didn't do that. Everything was shot for real when they I think the cameraman was like 
in they were like on chase vehicles sometimes and they were like literally eight inches away from the drivers driving past yeah uh, legit like just like especially like the in that first chase scene where they have the the cop car and you kind of it's like the camera's right at the rear bumper as they're yeah. speeding along and they're i mean they've got that camera right at that tailpipe like leaning mm-hmm. off of something it's just like oh my god are you guys yeah. really they're <laughs> mad lads these guys so so wild another fun part is you know they didn't have exactly have the permits to be uh <laughs> crashing every car ever and so they were like well there's no traffic like it's like literally in the middle of nowhere like there's nothing here dude let's just close the road down right let's just put some cones up or, or some barriers and say fuck it and so the cops the literal actual cops come over and they're like hey what are you uh doing buckaroo and they're like we're f- making a film you know and they said oh shit you're gonna like crash cars and like it's gonna be all yeah we're gonna crash cars and look at what we're gonna do and they said all right we'll help you and they actually the cops literally without a permit or nothing they didn't care they were like all right we'll we'll close the roads down for you whatever you need amazing damn okay <laughs> it's like okay so number one pretty negligent but kind of yeah, cool. exactly it's the most unsafe thing but, so unsafe but pretty badass so cool uh, and since nobody got hurt we're gonna celebrate this yeah yeah, yeah exactly they, if anyone got hurt it was like on the way to do this movie exactly <laughs> yeah, it was before the movie even started yeah again on on set safety is a big is a is a big thing we're total advocates of it but the yes. fact that that is like the one time that they could get away with it and nobody was injured we're gonna little little applause little round of applause little, little round of applause <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think now now i think he's way more concerned about safety yes you know it's he, like he was definitely. on the twilight zone film he directed one of the shorts there with the uh infamous uh helicopter accident yeah. i think he did the the plane one right yeah i with, think uh the guy from <laughs> third rock from the sun oh john lithgow john, john lithgow, lithgow. yeah, yeah. So he did that one, right? But like on the same same movie production, John Landis has a helicopter flying way too low, unsafe. Unsafe. It crashes and kills Vic Morrow and two children. It kills three people. <clears throat> um. So I think he's way more concerned about safety nowadays. He's, I, I think we mentioned in Fury Road where he f- like forgets that he replaced the stunt driver with the dummy. And then when the war rig crashes, he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. He definitely safety is a way bigger concern now just because he has so many stunts and so many double so many stunts and actors. It's, you know, and he doesn't seem like the John Landis type. That's like, we need to do whatever it takes to get the shot. George Miller's way seems way more concerned about safety. Um, Especially now. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he was a bit more, you know, he was younger. You know, I'm sure he was a bit mm-hmm. more arrogant, but especially after working on Twilight Zone and being around that, it's like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't, that's yeah. not cool. And yeah, it's exactly. weird. Outside of mentioning Star Wars in every episode, we do also mention Twilight Zone. It's like one of the we most, do. one of the reoccurring <laughs> films that we talk about. I love it. It is. It's like the, this is like the third or fourth time we've mentioned it. Yeah. Twilight Zone is pretty baller. It's, it's a great concept very tragic execution um yeah there's the one more thing about the stunts the the height and the distance 
that Goose travels when he's thrown off his bike. Oh, man. 80, I think 85 feet. Shit. And he's supposed to land on some cardboard boxes. Yeah. Oh, get the fuck. That, that they just eyeballed. <laughs> oh, yeah. he missed. I don't think he missed. He's fine. But do you know how he he falls? He falls like facing upwards. But uh-huh. when it cuts to him landing, he's facing downwards. Uh-huh. A little bit of a continuity error, but it happens so fast. You hardly notice it. No, yeah. I, yeah, it's so fast. At that moment, I'm just like, in real life, I was like, oh, my God, I hope that stuntman's okay. Because he <laughs> yeah, flies he off. Okay? That, I was like, oh, that, that, that fall killed. And he just gets up. Yeah. yeah and he's, he's like, oh, I'm fine. I'll return this car. Yeah, it really, like, makes you, because you know that some that uh, Johnny messed with his bike beforehand. Mm-hmm. So you see him riding, he's like, okay, he's going to die here. And then he gets up, he's fine. And then he gets in that truck singing that weird song. Yeah. Uh, and then there, Johnny has an incredible <laughs> arm and it throws a brake drum right through the windshield. And that He crashes and that, then he gets killed. It like draws it out similar to the way Jesse's death is drawn out. Yeah. yeah. Very suspenseful. It is. You And you're not even sure what the exact plan is. So the fact that they keep it going for a long time, it's just like, okay, this isn't going to end well. Clearly. <laughs> Goose is the one that's the most agitated right now, so they're gonna go. They're gonna come after him, and yeah, that that this movie does really well. The tension, the tension is great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a like a, it's with these things though. It's kind of hard to to find the the truth. I think because there's a casting story with Mel Gibson that I I see three different versions of it. Yes, I know exactly what you you're talking about. Ooh. Do you, do you know the one where like he got into a fight or something? Yeah, like there's one story where he shows up at the audition completely black and blue. His whole face is all messed up because he got in a fight with a rugby team the night before because he wanted to look tough. That's mm-hmm. the one story I've heard. And I know there's another version where he didn't actually intend to audition he just went with his friend and he was all beat up and they were like yeah. no dude and then they saw him after his face had healed and they said oh actually <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah God. so i can't i'm not sure which one's actually true uh, but you know what i'm look I'll, I'll give mel this i think he did a good job with this film um i think yeah. he, he did oh, yeah. what, oh you know what though what i will say i think he came off really cool i don't think his accent is all over the place that was another thing I did notice that kind of added to the jankiness. His accent is not consistent because there are moments where it sounds like he's American. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are moments where he has his Australian accent. But some, that thing flip flops back and forth. <laughs> he was born in New York and he moved to Australia once he was a bit older. Yeah, so he he is an American, but he was grew up in Australia. So he's a little bit of both. Yeah, especially compared to the other characters, because they'll be like, oh, what are you doing down there? You know, sorry for Australian listeners. I'm not trying to make fun of you. No, but that no, no, it was so good. It was so good. It It caught me off guard. That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) You're because they do. They sound so, you know, you might want to send a meat wagon, you know, like. He's talking mm. of whatever it was to the throat. A saucepan. A saucepan to the throat. And, you know, and then you hear Mel Gibson. And he's just like, all right, babe, you know, kind of cool, man. And you're like, oh, is he as? What? 
Yeah, especially when you have him next to Goose, who is very clearly Australian. Like, he oh, has the so Australian thick. accent. It's so thick. So when you put Mel next to him, he, it just, it highlights the fact that Mel doesn't sound, doesn't, isn't as, isn't, his accent isn't as thick. It, I'm not saying it's not there, but it does fluctuate more and it is a bit noticeable when you are surrounded by people who do have that accent. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. And it's, I think, maybe kind of cool because then maybe, you know, people are like, oh, he's the main character. I relate to this. I can understand what's happening here. Yeah. But they definitely have a different version of Mad mm-hmm. Max in that regard. Well, you we, we kind of, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. What's that all about? So they did an American dub of it's I think one of the only movies that's been filmed in English that was actually dubbed in English with American <laughs> accents. Cuz well, they were like Jesus Christ. It's really bad. I and I do believe actually the, um that Mel did his own American version of it cuz I there's a trailer somewhere on YouTube where you can you can hear it. It's really silly. I feel like it just sounds worse because it just it sounds of, so bad. Uh, because they're like, hey, we're cops down here, you know? It's just, it's so goofy sounding. It's Wait, so Tina, weird. So let me get this straight. Because this is so stupid that I'm sure yeah. I missed something. So they took an Australian film, which was spoken in English, that yeah. that has Australian accents in it. And the U.S. decided to dub <laughs> it with an American accent. All the actors have an American yes. accent. Yes. And they also cut, like, slang any kind of Australian slang, if they said, you know, brekkies or something, they'd cut it out. Or if they said oi or anything that sounded too weird, you know what I mean? Then they would. When they, they describe the, the interceptor, they say it's very toey. Yeah. But in the toe-y. American dub, it's super hot. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, it's so bad. I thought I had heard the stupidest thing earlier, but I take that back. <laughs> this is the dumbest fucking thing I've heard. <laughs> so dumb. And what's dumb, especially dumb, is you know, especially the slang and stuff, because actually some of the character names are slang. Like toe cutter is a slang term for a criminal that actually goes after other criminals, which what? is pretty oh. telling. That he's such a badass that he'll go after the other criminals too. He don't care. And sprog <laughs> is slang for child in New Zealand. At all. <laughs> His name is kid. His name is just kid. It's like hey boy. It's like. okay see okay see okay i didn't know that i didn't know toe cutter meant that and i didn't know sprog meant that i just thought those were i kind of injected my own imagination into it i was like that's a really interesting name i this which is great this dude's so crazy he cuts toes (laughs) see that's exactly it i feel like that's what i think is so cool about you know just leaving it because you don't even need to know that you know what i mean like you said he's so nuts he just cuts off toes man you don't that's exactly it it. and how fucking just center of the universe does america think it is where it's like (laughs) nobody's gonna understand is aussie english okay i i'm sorry to our Australian listeners because that was bad but but come on i'm trying to make a fucking point this is so stupid this is so it is dumb. Why would you? If I, it takes away from this. I feel like this is an Australian movie. You know what I mean? I want mm-hmm. that perspective of someone who's from Queensland, who's from the place where they're crashing cars. Like I want to see that perspective. Yes, I don't want to see like if if you had set Mad Max in the U.S. 
very different story, right? Because they obviously would tailor the film towards things that are of of American culture. But that's not but trying to take a film and remove that Australian culture from it, it's just so stupid and redundant. And it it's, feels kind of gross. Yes. It is gross, isn't it? It's just like I could just see some exec just being like, well, see, we don't understand what these kangaroos are talking about, so we're just going to dub over them. <laughs> and it's like, what? What are you talking about? No. Like, this is so stupid. It's so fucking stupid. Oh, my God. So <laughs> I know. So I feel that on a spiritual level. All right. So the goose bought it. But that's the way he always came at the world. Max, you'd be the first to admit it was long overdue. All right. I'll tell you how it is. You're a winner, Max. You're on the top shelf. And I'm not going to lose you because of some crazy notion about quitting. All right, so the goose bought it. But that's the way you always came at the world. You're wrong. Max, you'd be the first to admit it was long overdue. All right, I'll tell you how it is. You're a winner, Max. You're on the top shelf. And I'm not going to lose you because of some crazy notion about quitting. It, it almost sounds like a really bad <sighs> Western dub. You know? Oh my god, you're right. Oh my god. And oh no. That the original version was not available to the states or I don't know about anywhere else in the world, but it wasn't available until the year 2000. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So and this movie grossed 100 million. So that means that the majority of people that have seen this movie have seen the the American dub version of it. The ones yeah. that saw it in theaters. <laughs> oh. You know what? This is almost as upsetting as the little shop of horrors ending being cut out like that one's still <laughs> well, worse but this is just so dumb <laughs> i know it's yeah. almost just because there's something about hearing goose talk or hearing just hearing what they're saying in this little isolated pocket at the end of the world where we don't see the the rest of the world we don't see mm -hmm. that crisis that is happening we just see this little town essentially you know, it's like, I want to hear it. I want to yeah. know. Exactly. It's This is the movie. This is the world. I want to see it. And I look, I may not understand everything, but I understand the story. I understand the actors. I don't yeah. understand all the lingo or the slang, but it's like, that's just, you know, it's a minor part of it, you know? Exactly. And especially for George Miller, because he said, you know, hey... I want to be able to tell the story without even needing any dialogue. Anyone from any country could watch this and get get it. You know, you can watch mm -hmm. this just on mute and you can figure out what's going on. I, and that's I, what's so funny about it is you don't need the slang stuff. You don't need none of it. I guess the main thing going through my mind when we made Mad Max was I wanted to make a film which, which, which I saw as pure cinema. Um, I started off being interested in mainly painting and drawing, and it wasn't until I started to edit film, I had the opportunity to do that, where I suddenly saw, oh my God, there is the, the fourth dimension, if you like, time, into, you could bring into two-dimensional space. So it became basically kinetic pictures that I was mainly interested in. And it was only later that I got interested in narrative. The, so when, when the, with the first Mad Max, uh, I basically wanted to make a silent movie uh, with sound, um, uh, the kind of movie that Hitchcock would say uh, they didn't have to read the subtitles uh, in Japan, a film that, that, that basically played 
like a silent movie. I love that. I love that way of thinking that he has. And he fought and he, I mean, 30, 40 years later, he follows that same philosophy because Fury Road is the exact same way. It is. You don't need the dialogue, the lines all adds to it, but you don't need it. It's very straightforward. And I love that. I think, I think that's great. And I love films that embrace that philosophy, you know, where it's like show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. And I, yeah, I, I've seen so many foreign films where I didn't have access to the subtitles and the film is so good, so well constructed that you get what's happening. I just think it's so stupid that English had to be dubbed with English. It's, <laughs> it's so dumb. Fuck me. I just. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it, it makes the movie worse. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I don't know if it makes it like if you've if that's the only version you've ever seen. Like, how much of an impact will that have? I don't know. Because, like, some people get used to the way that they've seen it. Like, no, yeah. George, you've only seen Space Jam in Spanish and up until very recently. And the English voice was kind of weird. It, it threw yeah. me off guard. Yeah. I, but, I mean, don't don't tamper with something if it's unnecessary. It's just It really just seemed like some sleazy exec was like, we don't understand what they do down there. It's called down under. No, we don't. I just... Yeah, exactly. exactly. It feels really like gross and not, it doesn't feel good. Is there anything else that we want to talk about before I, we move into our quotes? I wanted to briefly talk about, because I mentioned this earlier, uh, some of the struggles that have, that George Miller has had to deal with since, since uh, Fury Road. Because I, <clears throat> We're going to get a fifth film in the franchise, a Furiosa prequel. Apparently, yes. there are two other sequels that have Max in them. George is still constructing this world, and there's a lot of things that he still wants to do. Uh, his next one, his next project is with Furiosa, with on An- Anya Taylor-Joy. An- I, I don't it's know Anya. To- Anya? Anya. Okay. Yeah. An- Anya Taylor-Joy playing Furiosa. That's set to come out in 2024. But I briefly mentioned in the first part of the episode that there was a lawsuit. So apparently things were not great in the making of this film. Uh, the editor herself, Natalie, oh no, no, Margaret Sissel, Sixel, said that editing this film was a pain in the ass for Warner Brothers. That they wanted oh it to be 100 minutes long and it needed to be PG-13. Thankfully, I know you mentioned you were you were curious if they had <laughs> oh. if they were gonna make it R, Austin. Thankfully, they did. Yeah. But those were two requirements. It had to be a hundred minutes, and it had to be rated PG thirteen. That didn't happen. The reason there were so many issues was because there was a regime change in Warner Brothers. So much, uh, there was so much happening. Like the the leadership was changing constantly. The CEO at the time, uh, what's his name? The uh, the one who had an affair with somebody? Yeah, Kevin Suhi, Suhihara, I believe. Sujihara? Sujihara, yes. Um, that was, yeah, it says right here on Yahoo, there were, there were also internal management issues going on at the studio surrounding the controversy over the studio's former chairman and CEO, Kevin Suhihara, who resigned in March uh, over the sex scandal, which we talked about on our episode of The Descent. Uh, if you want to learn a little mm-hmm. bit more about that. So, and there was constant leadership change and George Miller is quoted saying, it was hard to get anyone's attention. So we went to litigation because the film was, came under budget. And I think the filmmakers were promised 7 million, seven to 9 million, which the studio never paid. 
the studio filed a countersuit and that's what kept the film the prequel being made for so long because george had an idea as to what was going to happen but this was the 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 lawsuits were happening in 2018 three years after the sequel had come out and it's 2021 and they're going to begin filming next year so it's the film's almost going to be it's going to take place nine years after it's going to come out nine years after fury road because of a silly lawsuit that the studio would not the studio would not deal with george miller or the kennedy miller company like he had to he had to sue to be paid he had to for sue work to get that the, he did. He had to sue to get their attention because there was so much happening at the studio. You also have to think about the uh, the merger with AT&T. That was also that was also a thing that the execs had to deal with. So, yeah, it sounds like a shit show. I mean, the the editor, Margaret, was talking about how new notes and different notes were coming in and how it had to be 100 minutes, and, you know, PG-13. It sounded like this movie was a fucking nightmare to make. So I'm glad that we're finally getting the sequel. He says that it's been resolved, that things are clearing up. So I'm glad that's happening. But I did want to mention that. Um, wow. Like wow. 40 years later, he's still fighting to get his movies made. Wow. All right. So you guys ready to move on the quotes? Yes. Yeah. So this is the part of the episode where we come up with quotes that best summarize how we feel about the movie. Uh, so oh, do, we, do we have quotes? Yes, I do. Right, George. Nebula, do you have a quote? I sure do. All right. George, why don't you go first? So, as usual, I can't follow rules, so I have two quotes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one that, the quote that made me laugh, and the, the, the quote that made me laugh that just kind of stays in my head is uh, from Rop, and he's like, that Skagen, that Skagen, his floozy, they're gonna die. <laughs> I loved hearing that. Um, I loved hearing that, but the, I actually didn't walk in with two quotes. I walked in with that one, but talking about George Miller and kind of what he had to go through and kind of talking about his struggles and his philosophy in making film, it really, it, it, I, I thought of this one. I'm like, you know what? I like this. Um, it's with Toe Cutter and the Station ma- mas- uh, Master where he's like, take your hat off, anything you say. And Toe Cutter replies, anything I say, what a wonderful philosophy you have. <laughs> and that's Hell me yeah. saying it to George Miller. I'm like, I love your filmmaking. I love what you do. Keep doing it. I love you, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Austin, you want to go? Um, and then we'll save Nebula yeah. for last? Yes. Um, so my, so after watching this movie, like kind of uh, in, in 2021 with all of the things going on in the world with um, our kind of failures in the justice system and failures in the medical institutions and stuff, it does feel the movie does feel like more real than it did when I first saw it when I was a little kid. And there's this part at the police station when the kids are jumping on the the destroyed hot rod. <laughs> and they're like, what do you think happened to this car? Looks like someone chewed it up and spit it out. And then Bubba Zanetti says, perhaps it was a result of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how I feel. This movie, it really hits on all the anxieties that I have in real life. Represents them in this like weird movie with fast cars and explosions and stuff. Perfect. That's my quote. I like that. I like that one too. All right, Nebula, finish us off. All right. Well, part of mine... Okay, so I also can't follow rules and I kind of do too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, it's 
goes along with George's at the with the station master. And right before that, you know, the guy's talking about, oh, that must be your friend over there. Didn't mean to leave much of him. And he just spins around and he's like, the Knight Rider, that is his name. The, and he's like, you have to repeat it, right? <laughs> Remember him when you look at the night sky. And you're like, for some reason, that line really bothered just the way he's looking at him. And you're like, that guy was nuts, dude. <laughs> if he held him in such high regard, this guy is an absolute frightening individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where as a kid, I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> well, my other favorite is um, Max is talking to Fifi and he says, they say people don't believe in heroes anymore. Well, damn them. You and me, Max, we're going to give them back their heroes. And he's like, ah, oh, Fifi, do you really expect me to go for that crap? He's like, you got to admit, I sounded good there for a minute. <laughs> I just, I love that because it has that joyfulness mm-hmm. to the insanity. Yeah. That Those is are good quotes. Thank you. You guys had good quotes too. I'm just this saying. is a great, great episode, y'all. You guys Super are dropping fun. some knowledge. Thank you. Seriously. I cannot wait to watch this movie again and the doc. Mm-hmm. Heck, yes. Thank you, guys. So where can people find you, Nebula? Oh, you can find me over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash nebula stuff. Do you have an Instagram that we can tag you at? Or? I do, actually. It's uh, nebulastuff.vizarts, V-I-S-A-R-T-S, on Instagram. When do you oh, stream, wow. Nebula, When if our, if our viewers want to catch you? I usually stream between Sunday and Tuesday nights. Awesome. And you play Hunt Showdown. Anything else you play? A little New World, currently some Valheim. I've been playing some Halo. Oh, haven't we all? (laughs) (laughs) A little everything. Well, thank you very much, Nebula, for joining us. It was awesome having you. Thank you for talking about the movie. And thank you for educating me. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for, for the invite. This has been, I've honestly never talked this deeply or passionately about Mad Max with anyone else. So I appreciate you. Well, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, that is about it for this episode. Uh, you can find us at retrograde underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram, and we are on Facebook. But Facebook is Facebook, you know. <laughs> um, what else? We're coming out with the new episode in two weeks from now, um, and I think I think it's a big one, right? Uh, is this hold, the big one? Oh wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, let me check. Is, let, let me check. Let me check. Um, oh, we have we have like two big ones in December. Oh my! Holy mm-hmm. shit! We have. Oh, I think we may have to do Switcherui. It's not on the fifth. It's going to be on the twelfth for this episode, right? No, I thought we were doing an episode a week for December. Are we? Because I on the schedule we have two movies. And then our our guests for one of them changed their mind and yes. they wanted to be on the other one. So we actually have three episodes now. Okay. Well, I have four on my list, but I mean, <laughs> I know the film the I know the three films that we are going to going to be talking about for sure. Not about the fourth one, but we the our next episode is going to be the 1999 classic, The Matrix. Ooh. Big. I'm so excited. That's gonna be a <laughs> long episode. I can't yeah. even I can't even begin. Where do we even talk about? What do we even talk about with that movie? Everything and anything. Everything. For reals. Uh later on in that month, you guys, we've got a crazy month. Next after that, we have Lord of the Rings Fellowship <gasps> of the Ring. 
I'm dying. It's gonna be great. <laughs> and then we're gonna cap the month off with a hollow holiday special. It's a wonderful life. Oh. So it's gonna be it's gonna be great. A lot of guests. We're bringing in a lot of guests. Dylan, uh, who was here for our New Year special, is gonna be here, and we're gonna have a newcomer as well for our Lord of the Rings episode. So you guys, you're gonna want to tune in because we're gonna do some heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. That sounds really exciting. <clears throat> Especially Lord of the Rings. Are you oh, a Lord yeah. of the Rings fan? Huge. I have a tattoo and everything. I'm, nice. That's my other obsession besides Mad Max. Look <laughs> <laughs> out. All right. Well, that's all for us today. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>